welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me from the movie riffing group One Wall Cinema is not a pitiful fool, but K1, aka Kevin. Welcome back. Thanks, glad to be here. I- I'm kind of new to town, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so this week uh, our show makes its triumphant return after, you know, kind of a two-month break. Uh, we had some colds and some flus, some changes in employment, some changes in residence. Uh, now, finally, things are kind of getting settled back down. So thank you, everybody listening, for bearing with us. So for uh, our powerful return, this week we watched a show with a very powerful lead, the somewhat forgotten 1983 Hanna-Barbera animated series, Mr. T. You can't get more powerful than Mr. T. <laughs> so if you want to watch this with us, uh, follow along. Uh, season one was just released on iTunes. And uh, it's also, I found, available to watch for a price on YouTube. I'm not sure if those are, are those rentals or how, how does that work? I don't, I've never watched something for a price on YouTube. Yeah, neither have I. Yeah, I just noticed they were locked when uh, when I searched. If they ever come out with season two on iTunes, we'll have to do that one that takes place on Cape Cod that your, oh, yeah, uh, your wife found on IMDb. Yeah. I've been searching for it, and I've had no luck so far. So if anyone out there that's listening has a copy of the Cape Cod episode, somehow get it to us, because we will do an episode, and we will thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure as far as like the DVD releases. I know for like a few years... Hanna-Barbera released uh, quite a lot on DVD, but I don't know if this was one of them. Anyway, if if you were a child of the 80s or 90s, no doubt you are aware of Mr. T. Uh, Mr. T is an actor, a wrestler, uh, an overall larger-than-life character. His birth name is Lawrence Tarod. Uh, but when he was 18 years old, he renamed himself Mr. T. And he actually did this in response to a lot of the discrimination that he saw his family deal with on a regular basis. His reason was that by making people call him the first name Mr., he was going to force people to show him respect whether they wanted to or not. And uh, fortunately, they wanted to, and he certainly became a beloved figure in pop culture. Kind of unfortunate circumstances that... Uh, made him make this change, but uh, really turned a negative into something positive here. Uh, he rose to fame playing, of course, B.A. Baracus on the A-Team, uh, also known as Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. But despite these roles more geared to an adult audience, Mr. T was a really big hit with kids. And this cartoon series that we watched is just one of the many examples of him being just this all-ages pop culture powerhouse. Now, now, Kevin, did you have any of the Mr. T toys or the merchandise or the breakfast cereal? Any of that stuff? <laughs> I forgot about the breakfast cereal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, no, I, I remember I got the breakfast cereal at least once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I may have had a, uh, an action figure. Did he have a G.I. Joe action figure as well? I know he had the bigger ones. I'm not sure about the G.I. Joe size. Because those yeah. are what, like the three inch, three and a half inch figures? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he had one of those, but I, I know the A-Team had some figures. Mr. Yep. I mean, they might have just been Mr. T figures. Yeah. And yeah, the breakfast cereal, I just remember, was it Pee-wee's Big Adventure? He's that He has Mr. T cereal in that? Uh, I can't remember. I I'm not a so. big Pee-wee Herman fan. So. <laughs> but yeah, that was just, Mr. T's face was on everything. Uh, I had the A-Team lunchbox. Nice. 
Wish I still had it. <laughs> I know. Uh, when I was very little, a friend of mine had the Mr. T sprinkler game. It was called Mr. T's Water War. <laughs> Did you ever see that thing? No. I looked on eBay, and there are some on there if anybody wants to get a look at what I'm trying to describe here. It was a small pedestal uh, with a flat plastic representation of Mr. T's head. I think it was actually like a sticker with a photo of his face stuck to it. And it had some like spray nozzles on either side, and you hook up your garden hose to it. And when you hit the Mr. T head with a wet sponge projectile that they give you, uh, water would spray out from the direction it would lean. So it's like you and your friends, you kind of divide up into two teams, and you throw these sponges at the Mr. T head, and you knock his head back, and water sprays uh, at the other side. And I, I don't know, you know, how the game ends, but uh, I guess slightly better than jumping over the, the sprinkler. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> now, this cartoon, this... Did you ever watch this when it aired or in reruns? Um, I did. I, I it, I'm assuming it was probably reruns because, I mean, it, it came out in 1983, so I would have been four. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I assume it was probably reruns. Uh, you know, probably around maybe 86, 85, 86, mm-hmm. uh, around the same time that uh, GI Joe was on the air. Yeah, I remember seeing ads for this in comic books. Um, yep. I think this was around the time of Spider-Man and his amazing friends and Incredible Hulk See that, and stuff. Yeah, Spider-Man and his amazing friends I remember watching like when I was really little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a show too that I would see on uh, Adult Swim at like 5.30 in the morning. Kind of like the Gigantor time slot. Oh, uh, yeah. They would show kind of like an obscure cartoon at the very end of Adult Swim, which was really cool if you just happened to be up at 5.30 in the morning. And <laughs> so sometimes you'd see the Gary Coleman show. Sometimes it yep. would be uh, Mr. T. Sometimes it would be Gigantor. It all depended on what they felt like running at the time. That was maybe five or more years ago. That's kind of the last time I saw it. I believe this was also on Cartoon Express on USA, which they used to have kind of like this uh, block of cartoons you could see before you had to leave for school yep. i don't remember seeing this on here though myself i i saw this for the first time for the uh, the podcast pretty much also uh saturday night live kind of poked fun at this show i don't know if you ever saw the tv funhouse segment oh yeah <laughs> now just a little background on the cartoon mr t and i, I should note mr t is spelt out m-i-s-t-e-r-t that's the title kind of, like, of the show. Kind of like Doctor Who. Yes, exactly. It, it was created by, believe it or not, comic book writer Steve Gerber, who uh, most famously created Howard the Duck. And uh, Martin Pascoe, who also worked on the show, went on to win an Emmy for his work on Batman the Animated Series. And it was directed by longtime director Rudy Lariva, who was best known for uh, the classic Mr. Magoo. So they, they had some uh, pretty skilled people working on this show. Yeah. Uh, the premise, for those that aren't familiar, uh, it follows Mr. T as a mentor in gymnastics coach who travels the world solving crimes with the kids from his gymnastics team. Why he is a gymnastics coach, I have no idea. Also, we'll see that one of the girls on the team, her little brother, uh, goes with them <laughs> to solve mysteries, along with uh, Mr. T's dog, which is a very disturbing character that we'll get into as well. <laughs> 
Uh, each episode is bookended by live action segments in which Mr. T will speak uh, somewhat threateningly directly to yeah. the audience. <laughs> and uh, the episode that we watched for this episode of the podcast was the premiere episode entitled Mystery of the Golden Medallions, of course. Uh, it originally aired September 17th, 1983. It was written by Martin Pascoe, Steve Gerber, along with Flint Dill. Dial? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. And Mark Jones. Uh, it's just this riveting story of gymnastics and industrial piracy, which is something you always want to see on Saturday morning. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let, let's get right into this episode. Now, we open with some action scenes. Uh, many of which spoil scenes in the episode we're about to watch. I don't know if you saw that. There's like a tractor trailer flying off a pier. Mr. T punching a shark and throwing alligators. <laughs> well, that yeah, that comes later. <laughs> yeah. The, the very beginning will just show like all the action that you're about to see. You know, so why is a tractor trailer going off a pier? Well, more on that later. So while they play dramatic music during these scenes, in voiceover, Mr. T tells us, you know, catch the action, catch the mystery on my show, the best show, Mr. T. Such a great delivery on those lines. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. It's so good. Uh, Throughout this whole episode, he, he basically sounds like he's doing a cold read of his lines. <laughs> like he like they he hadn't read them ahead of time. They just handed him the script and said, go. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, from here, we fade to the show's open, which involves more recycled action scenes. Uh, along with some introductory scenes of our main characters showing some of their gymnastic skills. There's uh, one funny scene, which you were just referring to, Kevin, where they're on that fan boat. And they're, yep. they're going through the swamp. And this giant log suspended on vines smashes into the boat and sinking it as the two do this amazing backflip off of it. Like the gymnastics in this show is pretty crazy. There's like no physics realism at all in this show. <laughs> Uh, Mr. T grabs a nearby alligator by the tail, swings it around in the air, just launching it out of frame. It's so funny. Yeah. It, and I I love how the beginning of the theme song, like it, it's sort of this very retro looking James Bond style start to it with yes. this girl doing flips. And then all of a sudden she becomes Mr. T. Oh, really? She morphs yeah. into him? I didn't notice that. Yeah. It, well, it's kind of like a quick cut. Like she does her flip and lands and then... Like, then it's just the silhouette of Mr. T. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I definitely got like a Venture Brothers vibe out of it, too. Yeah. Which, you know, of course, this came first. But uh, and definitely I could see the James Bond comparison with kind of the cascading words and, you know, the, the silhouetted figure. Silhouettes and everything. Yeah. 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 So it starts out pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, the physics in this show, absolutely bananas. These kids use their athletic abilities to leap through the air, which is practically flying. Uh, they tumble, they stretch well beyond normal human limits, as we'll get to. There's just, uh, you know, whatever way they can write themselves out of a situation, it's almost as if they just wrote, just use gymnastics, you know? Yeah. So anyway, this long sequence ends. <laughs> we get the only lyrics of the theme song. Did you catch those two words? Uh, Mr. T? Yes, it would be Mr. Yes. T. <laughs> Double the amount of writing that the guy that wrote the Batman theme did, but uh, still, not not a lot to memorize for the vocalist. Exactly. 
So as this open ends with a shot of the entire cast of characters standing together in front of a black background, we get this giant red letter T behind them. Okay, that's our opening sequence. But no, no. From here we fade into a third opening for the episode, which is, as I mentioned, a live action intro. And it features Mr. T standing in an empty outdoor stadium, either before or after a track and field meet. Because if you notice, there's... Uh, Empty stands, but there's hurdles all set up. Yep. And uh, did you did you happen to write down his amazing introduction to the series? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely did. <laughs> Would you like to tell <laughs> tell the listeners? Yes, Mr. Mr. T introduces himself as first name Mr. Middle name is that period. Last name is T. <laughs> so great. And what do you do when a new kid moves to town? <laughs> yeah. It basically, we're going to get the setup to the episode at the very end, the moral that we learned. And uh, yeah, it talks about if a new kid ever moved to the neighborhood and he, he asks if we've ever had the attitude of what do we need him for? And that's why Mr. T pities any fool who makes such a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> what What's kind of strange is like when they do the fade in, fade out for that, instead of doing your normal like fade to black, it fades to this blue tint. Hmm. <laughs> It's just kind of strange looking. <laughs> it is It is weird. And yeah, we'll see, like, what is he doing here at the stadium? Like, I thought maybe you'd get some analogy to hard work and exercise or something, but no, he's just there. No, he's just there telling us to be nice to, you know, kids who are new in town. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of appropriate that, you know, we are doing this episode since I just moved and now I'm living right down the street from Scott once again. <laughs> <laughs> what do I need him for? <laughs> so anyway, he invites us to watch what happened in San Francisco when a new member joined his team during the mystery of the golden medallions. It, well, you'll notice he'll, he says golden medallions, plural. This then cuts to the episode title card saying Mr. T in the mystery of the golden medallion. Right. Singular. <laughs> <laughs> I did catch that. <laughs> so, um, actually, Mr. T is correct. Uh, there are more than one golden medallions. So Yes. Um, so, we finally open on the episode. Uh, we get this long establishing shot of the bay and the Golden Gate Bridge. Very clearly, we are in San Francisco. Uh, then we get the exterior of some athletic center, some gymnasium. It really looks like it was designed by a, a drunk Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> a pretty angular building. Now, cutting inside, a crowd is shouting some pretty overdramatic oohs and ahs at what is just a very simple routine on the rings by the character Woody Daniels. Yeah, I mean, the crowd is just it, that it's not an appropriate response to, you know, him just hanging on, you know, some rings. Right. <laughs> I'm watching it, you know, writing down my notes. My wife in the other room goes, what the heck are you watching in there? Because <laughs> it makes no sense, like, how excited and, yeah, their reaction's just nuts. This is like sitcom audiences reacting to a kiss. You know, like, yep. this, it, basically, this character, Woody Daniels, he just is holding his body straight on the rings. Um, yep. You know, no, no flips, no anything, just kind of just... Staying in place, and the crowd is loving it. Now, Woody here is played by Phil Lamar. And are you familiar with Phil Lamar? Yes, I am. He's uh, He was Hermes in Futurama, and everyone's favorite, Ollie Williams from Family Guy. Um, <laughs> who else was he? Axel Samur Foley. Samurai in, Jack. Uh, yep. 
Yeah, he was Axel Foley in the Clerks animated series. Uh, he was on Mad TV. Yeah, he's done tons of stuff. Yeah, we've talked about him many times. He also had a small role in Pulp Fiction as a guy that got yep. shot in the back of a car. Um, we talked about him. I, you know, I mentioned this already in the episode we did about uh, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, because he was in that quite a bit yes. as various characters, most notably uh, Black Lightning or Black Vulcan. Anyway, um, Mr. T is actually Phil Lamar's first credited role. He, he was called Philip Lamar, if you noticed in the credits. Mm -hmm. And he was only about probably 15 or 16 playing Woody Daniels here. I was quite surprised. I didn't realize he had such a long career in, uh, yeah. you know, in acting. Well, specifically in, uh, you know, animation voiceover. Mm -hmm. And so back to the episode here. While Woody holds himself still on the rings, occasionally moving, we see beads of sweat begin to pour down his face. And the judges at the table, they're staring intently. And while seemingly everyone in the entire building is distracted... We cut to this tiny cloth-covered stand where a hand swipes the five gold medallions that were to be awarded at this competition. Now, if you look at the title of this episode, Mystery of the Golden Medallions, you assume, like, right away, okay, this is some sort of caper involving Mr. T's iconic gold chains that, you know, he wears tons of. Right. But, uh, yeah, surprisingly, no. It involves other gold chains. I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder if they just kind of came up with the title first. Like, what would a Mr. T-related mystery be called? And just kind of worked on it from there. <laughs> this is like, you know, uh, Golden Medallions or, you know, the uh, the Curse of the Mohawk or something, you know. But so this is, uh, the, this is the what The Pity of the Fools. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so while these medals get swiped from their tiny table... Meanwhile, Woody completes a slow-motion flip dismount as the crowd cheers, and on the sideline, the rest of the team is not so happy. Uh, we see three fellow gymnasts, Kim, Jeff, and Robin, looking on, and Kim asks Jeff what he thinks. And Jeff is just kind of like, oh, he's okay, but not really needed, and Robin agrees. And the other adult leader of the team, Miss Bisbee, tells Robin that she's being unkind. And who is Miss Bisbee here? We we know from watching the episode she's the team's bus driver, but right. she's always like dressed like she's attending some gala, some social soiree, and big white dress, giant white hat. Very odd addition yeah. to this uh, cast here. Yeah. Now I'm trying to trying to remember. Did they have action figures based on this cartoon? Because I have this, like, vague memory of having, like, a set of, like, Jeff and Woody, like, action figures. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I could be getting them mixed up with, like, American Gladiator action figures or something. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely wear a, a very similar costume. Uh, red, white, and blue with stars and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And, of course, Mr. T, as we'll see, just wears his regular Mr. T outfit. <laughs> There's no reason to believe he has anything to do with this gymnastics team. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. You know, I looked on eBay just to see, and uh, all I could see was uh, more A-team related A -team things. A-team stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm just going to go on the assumption it was probably American Gladiators. <laughs> so Robin uh, walks over to Mr. T to ask if Woody can cut it on their team. And Mr. T replies, cut it like a knife through butter. It's like, okay. And out of nowhere, we see this kid named Spike. This is Robin's little brother. Uh, he walks over, repeating this line, 
it's just this kid trying to do a Mr. T impression, like his attempt at a raspy Mr. T voice. Uh, it's it's like, awful. Terrible. He's like, He's so it, annoying. Nice butter. <laughs> okay, so let's just pause here for a moment. Here in this scene, we see Mr. T for the first time in the story. Dressed exactly like Mr. T is in real life, like I mentioned. Uh, denim vest, mohawk, the feather earrings, ton of gold chains. Why is Mr. T here? You know, what qualifies him to be a gymnastics coach? Right. This is a, Yeah, I mean, he never, <laughs> he never provides any sort of instruction. He's just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he leads them, in, in a sense. He tells them what to do. But nothing yeah. in terms of gymnastics. Right. More like, get over here, you split up, you go over here. You know, I, I wonder if they saw his gold medallions and assumed that they were Olympic medals. <laughs> or perhaps Mr. T got into gymnastics because that's where you can get more medals? I don't know. You know, it really makes no sense why Mr. T is here other than the one thing in common is the, the gold chains. If Spike really wanted to be Mr. T when he grows up, why didn't he have a mohawk, too? Yeah, that's another good question. Yeah, that'd be pretty simple. Instead, he's got the same haircut as his sister. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we'll see Ro Robin and Spike very uh, similar. Uh, same exact hair color. Uh, same three freckles on each cheek. Mm -hmm. uh, really letting us know that they are related. But yeah, Spike is dressed very similar to Mr. T, denim vest, gold chains himself. And uh, he he walks over with uh, Mr. T's pet bulldog, Bulldozer, or just Dozer for short, as they call him here. Uh, disturbingly, Dozer has a mohawk. <laughs> Got a dog with a mohawk. Uh, not sure how that was done. Clippers, glue, either way, very, very disturbing to see on a dog. So anyway, Spike aggressively walks over to Woody, throws a towel at his face, tells him, Yo, go towel off. Poor Woody. In this, in this <laughs> and Woody just like... Keeps the towel on him, like, covering his face as he's, like, walking around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's explained that Spike is acting this way, like you mentioned. He wants to be Mr. T when he grows up, and, and Mr. T admits that he's getting close, much to Spike's delight. But he can't. <laughs> I'm me now. Gonna be me then. <laughs> uh, and... and even weirder than all of this going on, we get this weird animation mistake at the end of this shot as Mr. T's head snaps down and his mouth disappears for a few frames. Yeah. It's uh, very disturbing. I know you caught a screenshot of it. We'll have to post yep. it. Uh, th there's a couple of animation mistakes that are uh, pretty interesting, you know, in, in, this, in this show. And that happened a lot with Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know, like Super Friends, like Green Lantern would all of a sudden have three arms for no reason or... Colors yep. would be reversed, so this is nothing new, but it's just, it's so funny to see. Yeah, yeah, and like even the opening shot of uh, San Francisco, my son was watching it with me, and he's like, why is everything shaking on the screen? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a still shot, but, you know, for whatever reason, the when the, <laughs> the frames are just moving. <laughs> now, uh, next in the episode, Woody's score is announced 9.9. .9. That was pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I he held himself pretty still for a 9.9, .9, I guess. Uh, that's yeah, a, I mean, I kind of want to see all the other competitors just to see, like, what they did. Because right. if that's a 9.9, .9, what <laughs> didn't win? <laughs> did they just fall down on the floor and do nothing? I mean... <laughs> 
So 9.9, .9, we learn, is enough to beat star gymnast and teammate Jeff to take first place. <laughs> Did you notice the uh, the background crowd when they were announcing the score for Woody? No. It just, it looks like one of those courtroom sketches. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just totally doesn't match. You know, uh, kind of like the, uh, like during the deflate gate trial, like that awful Tom Brady <laughs> drawing. Yes. Like that's what the background people look like. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Next, Woody walks over to the winner's podium, which, uh, did anybody on this show know what a winner's podium looks like? It's not it's that. It's like a single <laughs> slab. It's like this brown block, uh, but like not that far off the ground and very long and wide. Just this like brown slab. And only he stands on it and the other two guys just kind of stand in front of him. Yeah. And, and Jeff was upset, you know, saying like, he beat me, but... It's not only him. Everybody else also beat Jeff because Jeff didn't even place. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't even there. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very good point. Yeah, it's not like he was even leading at that point then. Yeah. But of course, they go to award the medals, but to everyone's surprise, the medallions were stolen or ripped off, as Mr. T shouts. Yep. Now, amazingly, after all of this, the thieves were still hanging around just all that time then decide to run away, and uh, on their way to the exit, one just jams his palm into a spectator's face. Did I was <laughs> laughing so hard at that. <laughs> oh, very violent animation, which I guess serves them right. Why are the spectators out on the floor, like, during the competition? Yeah. It's just a very, very funny animation, just jams the guy right in the face, and he just <laughs> falls down out of the frame immediately. Anyway, Spike, the little kid, is the only one who seems to decide to go after these thieves, but it's not a long pursuit because we find the two thieves just outside the exit in the alley, pulverizing the metals on the ground with a hammer. Yeah, they didn't seem too concerned about, you know, people following them after. They just made this huge commotion. <laughs> they didn't go anywhere secluded, nowhere safe. They just start smashing right outside the door and uh, just destroying these these gold medals and one's like it's not here either and spike replies what isn't turkey and seeing that they were spotted smashing medals the two thugs grab spike and take him away he shouts for help and the team who uh, was just evidently standing around inside for no reason can finally, hear him. yeah they can hear him but how can they hear him <laughs> that's true too that's true too but why why didn't they go after her after the thieves with Spike. Like, they were just standing around. It's like, what's that? Oh, that's Spike. They finally go out to help him at that point. Yeah. Now, why, if you're the thieves, why even take Spike? Like, if anything, grab his gold medallions. You know? Might as well, right? He's yeah. not being kidnapped for ransom or anything. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. Because everybody saw these guys take the gold medallions. What's one more kid, you know? Yeah. Spike, as we'll learn, has nothing to do with these plans, so I, I don't know. <laughs> so He's just an annoying, you know, inconvenience. <laughs> yes, exactly. So while trying to escape the thug's grasp, Spike inadvertently pulls a piece of paper out of one of their pockets. And that just falls down on the ground as they walk away. Now with Mr. T and the team running after them, one of the thugs reaches into a parked tractor trailer and releases the emergency brake. Which I guess is close enough that he could just reach in and pull. Yeah, and 
it just immediately starts flying down like the <laughs> steepest hill ever. Yes. And I mean, it, it's, you know, I actually checked. It's a 30 degree angle. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, they're in San Francisco. And, you know, so I was like, okay, I kn- I've been there. The steepest road is not a 30 degree <laughs> angle. Yeah, yeah. So, so I checked and it's uh, the steepest road out there, I guess, is only 17.5 degrees. So a little bit off. Right, right. But still, I mean, San Francisco, you know, if you've seen like, what's the movie? Is it Bullet? Where they're going down the streets of San Francisco? Or if you see like, was it Full House? Yeah. Had some exterior shots. You know, these are downhill streets, but nothing close to what's portrayed no, in this not episode. Like that. Now, what, what did you uh, find with the protractor? It was 30? 30. Because Kim, who evidently is a genius with a photographic memory, starts to calculate the velocity and the force of the vehicle. And I believe she even says here that it's a 60-degree angle. She does. She says it's a 60-degree <laughs> slope and a five-ton truck. <laughs> Which, if you look at the truck, uh, you know, just a, a quick Google search. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is but the the average weight of a semi truck is about 80,000 pounds <laughs> a Ford F150 is just under 5,000 pounds and an empty 26 foot uh lift gate truck is about 15,000 pounds so <laughs> she's just way off on everything yeah yeah and, and she does like her calculations you know cuz she's you know she's the genius of the team they're trying to show us but she's doing this, uh, you know, calculation of velocity and force and weight and angle, and she's like, the answer is, oh no! Like they, <laughs> it's like they kind of wrote this into the script, like, okay, she's gonna do all this mathematics and figure out the whole thing, and then they're like, well, I don't really want to do it, so we'll yeah. just make her shocked. Does at anyone her own remember results. how to do this kind of math? I don't know. <laughs> do we know how long the street is? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Mr. T, of course, he's not waiting around for, for uh, you know, this uh, math to be done. He's he's running right after the truck and clings to the back of it as it gains speed. Uh, Dozer also runs after it. They linger on that shot quite a bit. Mm-hmm. This runaway truck careens past traffic and pedestrians. Uh, everybody fortunately gets out of the way. Not too realistic. Um, yeah, he also comes across an even steeper hill. <laughs> <laughs> it goes down and then comes back up. It's very funny. Now, Mr. T somehow climbs on top of the truck and slips in through the window where he steers it down a pier and applies the brake. But, of course, the brakes are not enough, and he dives out just before the truck launches off the pier and into the bay, as we, of course, saw in the opening of the episode. Really far into the bay, too. <laughs> i i did notice that one of the stores uh i believe it's like right where that crazy steeper hill is it was was called the coin emporium which just kind of made me laugh because it's like when would you ever need a coin emporium you know like you've seen like coin shops and stuff like that but not an emporium (laughs) seems a bit excessive (laughs) so now, Mr. T is just lying there on the pier. Uh, Dozer finally catches up and growling, you know, he's growling. And uh, Mr. T pets his mohawk and tells him to save it for the dudes that got Spike. Even though Dozer is actually more animal than uh, those anthropomorphic sidekicks that we tend to see in these Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see Dozer does, like, understand things. He's more like Lassie than um, Astro. Right. 
So anyway, later, now in civilian clothes, the gymnasts return to the alley to look for clues. Uh, Robin wonders if there's maybe some evidence they can piece together. And Woody asks if there's something on the ground. Now, keep in mind, the ground is covered by pieces of gold that were broken by a hammer. Yeah. You know, which on a side note is worth a ton of money. You know, why right. even leave it there? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even more so, why are the gymnasts like detectives or crime fighters or whatever? Right. It makes no sense. And they don't even bother trying to explain that. <laughs> now we see Jeff here in the scene. He's on his hands and knees and he's getting mad at Woody saying, you know, well, that's why I'm on the ground already. And, and Jeff picks up one of the hundreds of gold pieces and just is like, hmm, just like I thought, a piece of evidence. Jeff is pretty stupid in this series. <laughs> <laughs> Most scenes. <laughs> but yeah, oh man, super snarky exchanges between everybody. Going through this, it reminded me of our last episode that uh, Hamish and I did on uh, Generation X, mm -hmm. where... They really forced that the new kids were going to be, like, treated really awful by the the older, not older kids, but, you know, the kids that were the team before. And it's so forced because you know that at the end, they're all going to be friends. Yeah. You know, but nothing feels natural. It's just they're so mean to Woody here for absolutely no reason. Yeah, I mean, the the writing and delivery, are just, it's just super clunky. Yeah. It, it, it just reminds me of when you see, like, a sketch comedy group do, like, scenes where they're portraying high school kids who are putting on a play yeah you know what i mean <laughs> like not necessarily just them like pretending that they're in high school but they're pretending that they're in high school but also those characters that they're playing are putting on a play where they're pretending to be somebody else you yep. know so it's just another level of awkwardness to how it's coming across yes yes now, Woody, however, notices that that piece of paper that Spike pulled out of the thug's pocket, he sees it there lying on the ground, picks it up, and Jeff pulls it from Woody's hand saying, oh, I knew I'd find something. You know, of course, you know, Woody gets <laughs> no credit whatsoever. And we learn that the uh, very conveniently that this piece of paper is a list of addresses, uh, the first one being a hotel. So they decide, well, we'll just visit every address on the piece of paper and hopefully it'll lead us to Spike. Uh, this is where we learn that it's Robin's little brother, but that that's, like I said, pretty evident yeah. from the, uh, the hair, the eyes, the freckles. And I, I guess Spike's life isn't really that important because we next cut from here back to the gym where the team is all back in their gymnastics uniforms and they're just kind of playing around practicing. Robin is bouncing a basketball. Jeff's hanging upside down from a bar. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we'll look for Spike a little later. I mean, he is pretty annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so going over what very limited knowledge of the mystery that they have they reason that the metals were hollow inside because something was in them so therefore the thugs are after something hidden inside them and so they believe that the addresses on the paper are the other places where the medallions are also being stolen so Coming to the same conclusion hours later, they once again declare that they need to check the addresses on the paper. And hopefully yep. it will lead them to Spike. <laughs> <laughs> again, very clunky writing, but it's just so funny to be like, oh, we have to go on these, you know, on these leads. We'll find Spike. Then they stop. They do something else. They think about it again. Oh, yeah, we should do this. And hopefully it'll lead us <laughs> to Spike. Like, okay. <laughs> but first. <laughs> <laughs> little basketball. 
So Robin, Jeff, and Kim prepare to leave. You know, these are the three gymnasts that have been together this whole time. Uh, Woody wants to join them, but they tell him to stay. So just as they reach the door, they're blocked by Mr. T, who tells them that it's a waste of manpower. And since the team doesn't want Woody, he's coming with him. So they split up into two teams to investigate the addresses with plans to meet up at San Francisco's very famous Fisherman's Wharf at 9 o'clock. So from here we cut to Mr. T driving the team's bus uh, where he tells Woody that the team has been together for a very long time and they're just treating him badly because he's the new kid. And uh, this is where we get the line where he's like, you just got to give him time. <laughs> and uh, no, Miss Bisbee here. I thought yeah. she was the bus driver. You would assume, well, then maybe the other adult is accompanying the other team of kids, you know, so that there's an adult with them. But no. Nah. So meanwhile, these other three kids are at the headquarters of the Dragon Slayer Society, which is some sort of giant castle where medieval enthusiasts meet. Yeah. <laughs> in my notes, I wrote down, are they still in San Francisco? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, of course, I then was like, are there any castles in San Francisco? <laughs> Turns out, yeah. <laughs> really? There actually is a castle there with a, it's got a, a six story stone tower. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's called the, I guess, Albion Castle. Uh, it was built in the 1870s by John Hamlin Burnell, and it was the Albion Porter and Ale Brewery. And it had a uh, castle home that was associated with it. Interesting. Yeah, I guess it has, it's got some sort of underground pure water aquifer, so. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did more research on the topic than the creators of the show. I did. They should hire me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so here though, instead of being, you know, some historic site, it's evidently some Renaissance fair dudes just like to get together and pretend they're at the round table. Yeah. <laughs> so walking through the already open doors, they find the two thugs once again on their hands and knees, just smashing stolen medallions with a hammer. Uh, I guess there were some more medallions there. I, I, why we were never told. Yeah. So Robin tells Kim and Jeff to call the police while she distracts the thugs with a series of flips and leaps. Yeah. Don't call them when they kidnap your, you know, the little kid. <laughs> right. Like, oh, we should probably now tell the authorities. <laughs> But instead of even calling the police, Kim and Jeff decide, well, let's help her in doing the same thing. More flips and leaps. So they, they leap down from kind of like this overlook inside to this large, you know, round table, of course, as a thug grabs a knight sword from the wall and comes after Kim and Jeff. And so this is like our big suspenseful moment where, of course, we cut to commercial. Yep. So at this point, the show takes a commercial break. So why don't we take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back. Do you have parenting questions? Caller, you're on the air. Hey, it was bringing daughter into work day here at the tattoo parlor. And I just like, I wasn't paying attention for like a second. My daughter just made a line right down the side of her face. I don't know what to do. I mean, I was just like, I wasn't looking for like one second. Jim? <laughs> like, I Jim? don't know what. Jim, Jim, calm down. This is very simple. All you have to do is just turn it into a design. We have parenting answers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good with dragons. So, like, I could probably, yeah, yeah, that could work. That could work. <laughs> there you go. Ugh, thanks. The Parental Advice Radio Hour, every Tuesday at 1.08 p.m. on the Hitting Play Radio Network. 
And we're back. All right, so when we return, the thug with the sword is making his way to Kim and Jeff. Jeff and Kim kind of talk. Like, the time, the timing really makes no sense here. They, they kind of talk about what they're going to do. And Jeff picks up this, like, golden pitcher that's just kind of sitting there on the table. And <laughs> he's going to throw it at the thug's feet, causing him to trip. But when he's picking it up, Kim's like, what are you going to do with it? Drown him? It's like, yeah, he's going he's gonna to pour water. Down his throat right. when he gets close. That's what he's going to do, Kim. <laughs> and Kim's the smart one of the group. Yes. So, of course, he throws it at the thug's feet. Thug flies forward and just slams the sword down, cutting the table in two, as Kim and Jeff do, like, this super heroic backflip away from danger. And I love that, you know, he throws it, and it's like, it doesn't, like, kind of bounce across it. Like, it hits the floor and just stops, and, <laughs> it, like, it's nailed to the floor. And the guy just trips over it. <laughs> it just wedges perfectly between his foot as it's about to step and the, yeah. the ground. Yeah, because a bounce would require some more animation. Right. So as they check on Robin, the two thugs run away, and the kids chase them to the top of the castle... Uh, Robin flips at one of the thugs, landing on his shoulders, where she puts her hands over his eyes. Uh, she calls this her best trick. <laughs> her best trick is not very good. No. <laughs> That's why she didn't win the competition. <laughs> yeah, she didn't even care about Woody's score. Yeah. No, at the same time, Kim and Jeff just jump headfirst at the other thug, sending him to the floor. Robin is really holding tight on the thug's shoulders, holding her hands on his eyes, demanding to know where Spike is. So he stumbles to the edge of the castle roof where he bumps into, uh, I had to look these terms up, a crenel in the battlement of the castle wall, which is basically, you know how like a castle wall at the top, it's like little squares that go up and down. So, you know, in a gap between those two squares is where he kind of like, bumps into and she falls off the side of the castle wall, presumably <laughs> sending her to her death. But, you know, of course, it, it's not happening. No, no. We've, we've already determined that physics mean nothing in this. Yes. <laughs> now, there's another animation mistake here. Did you happen to catch it? Uh, uh, which one was this one? Right, right when the thug bumps Robin off the side of the wall, we get the reverse shot of Robin falling, and the thug is a completely different character. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. <laughs> different hairstyle, different color hair, different skin color, different shirt color. When he turns around, it's a different face. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not even like they, they had like a, a layer of, of animation cells giving him like a different uh, hair or something and it was missing. No, it's just yeah. this is a completely different character. Oops. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, as Kim and Jeff run over to help Robin, of course, the thugs run off. So looking down now, they see that Robin is just holding on to a window ledge by her fingertips. It's got to be, what, what would you say, at least 10 feet down? Something like that. At least? So Jeff grabs Kim by the ankles and lowers her to grab hold of Robin. And the problem with that is that Robin is just way too far down for them to reach. Right. But like we talked about, physics don't apply. And Kim stretches all the way down <laughs> to save Robin. <laughs> it's so funny because they they just you know move the background up 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 and you just see her like like stretching down it's like okay there's no way there's absolutely yeah. no way so now she saves robin they pull her back up catching their breath they wonder you know is mr t having any success with, with woody and jeff doubts it 
you know, because Woody's with them. Yep. Like, why? Well, you know, what an idiot. <laughs> like, Woody has shown himself to be confident, uh, you know, away from gymnastics, in gymnastics, smart, observant. There's really nothing to lead them to believe that he would uh, <laughs> he would be uh, the reason why Mr. T wouldn't be having any success. Just exactly disliked for being new and really overtly. Yeah. So from here, we cut to the last address on the list. This is the uh, the restaurant L'Aventure Continental Cuisine, where Woody and Dozer are left off. Well, Miss Bisbee and Mr. T parked the bus. Evidently, Miss Bisbee, maybe she was taking a nap in the back <laughs> <laughs> while Mr. T was driving earlier. It's a funny moment here where Mr. T is just like, drive! And she's like, yeah. not until you say please. Is like, please. please. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing Woody and Dozer enter the restaurant, the maitre d' tells them, you know, we are closed for a private dinner. And besides that, of course, they need a, a jacket, a tie. No dogs are allowed. Very reasonable request yes. for this maitre d'. This very French maitre d'. Yes. <laughs> But when Mr. T enters and asks if there's a problem, they are allowed right in. And uh, the maitre d' even offers a steak for Dozer. Yeah. I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> this crazy looking dude just walked into your fancy restaurant and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, get the dog a steak. And yeah, yeah, go right ahead. No problem. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. He's so afraid. You wonder what Mr. T has done. To, to gain this reputation around San Francisco. Like, he must have just gone punching his way around at some point earlier where this guy recognizes him and is like, yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. So Mr. T and Woody walk to the back of the restaurant where they find a large crowded function room uh, where the Sherman Widget Company is holding their 12th annual sales performance awards, according to the uh, the banner that we read behind the stage. <laughs> And, of course, the awards are gold medallions. Yes. After awarding one medallion to this poor guy named Herb Samuels, they take a break for some entertainment, which is evidently two dancing girls named the Marshall Sisters who are going to pop out of a giant cake. Now, one thing real <laughs> quick. When they announce who wins the award and the crowd's cheering, mm -hmm. there's a woman who yells, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Wow. Rewound it like three or four times. And like, if you turn on the subtitles, it's in the subtitles. You just see, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So some overzealous uh, crowds here. I guess if yeah. staying on, staying still on the rings is worth oohs and ahs, then winning a widget award, a sales yeah. award is worth an I love you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's pretty funny. I didn't catch that. I'll have to go back and check that out now. <laughs> But just this whole idea where, okay, we're going to give an award and, okay, now for some entertainment. It's like, what kind of event is this? Like, what kind of cartoon is this? Yeah, I mean, cake with two dancers inside. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why isn't that still a thing? I mean, is it a thing? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But popping out of this cake is, of course, not two ladies inappropriately dressed for Saturday morning television, but instead, quite predictably, it's two thugs. So they pop out, they immediately push poor Herb Samuels to the floor, they snap the metal off his neck, and smash it with a hammer right there. Yeah. Poor guy had his award as long as La La Land. <laughs> 
the crowd's just watching all this taking place. The thug exclaims, I got it. And Mr. T yells back, good, now give it to me. (laughs) And the thugs now make a run for the exit. Woody tries to do a somersault, but he misses. Yeah, he he does this like weird roll thing and then slides <laughs> on his face like completely upright on his face like across the room. It's the goofiest thing ever. Ugh. Now, one thug does reach the exit. The other wheels the uh, the empty stripper cake at Mr. T. But mm-hmm. Mr. T grabs the cake and throws it, making the thug slip on this pink frosting into a small table where a grapefruit splats down onto his forehead. Yes, and again, physics meaning nothing because he's running, <laughs> has yes. been running for a while. Yes. And Mr. T is able to throw a cake <laughs> and hit him. And Mr. T grabs the thug, picks him up from the floor by the shirt, and demands to know why they're smashing medallions. And there's another really funny animation mistake. Did you see this one? I did. His mouth does not move. <laughs> so Mr. And- T's yelling at the guy, but his mouth isn't moving at all. His isn't, but the thug's is. Yeah. The thug is the one that says, I said talk, in Mr. T's voice. <laughs> oh, that cracked me up. I had to keep rewinding it. I'm like, wow, yeah, sure enough, they made the thug say it in Mr. T's voice. So the thug tells Mr. T that he's already failed, and they've already recovered what they were looking for. And Mr. T suggests that they call the police, as Woody puts some medallion fragments in his pocket. And like we said, there's a lot of talk about calling the police in this episode, but I guess nobody actually bothers to do it. Yeah, I mean, and again, how closely is this team associated with the police? (laughs) I mean, they're ruining crime scenes left and right. They're stealing evidence. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) We cut that night. It's nine o'clock. We're on Fisherman's Wharf, where the entire group meets up. Uh, They're all dismayed at spending the day tracking down these addresses, but not finding Spike. Now, Woody pulls the metal fragments from his pocket and shows them that when the pieces are put together, you can see the words Hanson Mint Incorporated, along with the address of the trophy manufacturer. Which, wow, I mean, it's funny that it's so prominent on the metal. It's very uh, fortunate for them. Yeah, and why did it take this long for them to figure that out? (laughs) (laughs) Considering it was only, like, cracked in half. Right. It's just, like, two very simple pieces put together. So they slowly realized that the addresses on the list were customers of the Hanson Mint, and they decide to go pay the Mint a visit. Uh, Robin even personally invites Woody to join them, and Mr. T commends him on starting to be accepted. (laughs) This whole thing, you know, being forced where he's not accepted, then just as forced where he's accepted out of nowhere. Yeah. So we cut to what looks like the next morning as the team bus heads to the Hanson Mint. What they were doing all these hours in the meantime, maybe driving around until daylight. Who knows? I don't know. Spike's got to be dead at this point, right? (laughs) (laughs) You would think. So, Robin asks if the owner of the company will tell them why the metals are being smashed. This is all, you know, while they're sitting around on the bus. Mr. T replies, he will if he knows. He may not want to, but he will. And then he gives this huge beaming grin. And (laughs) Kim and Jeff kind of lean into frame with this mischievous grin as well. Like, really? Okay. So, finally spotting the Hanson Mint, they park, they get out, even though it's a no parking zone. Yeah. We get Mr. T saying, pull over. (laughs) 
Inside, they find that the doors are unlocked. The place looks like it's completely ransacked. And uh, we Jeff gives a line. They have as, almost as many trophies as I do. <laughs> so from behind a door marked private, they discover the owner of the company tied to a chair and gagged with what looks like just a single Kleenex shoved in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, dude, just spit it out. <laughs> yes. That was cracking me up. Mr. T very gently removes the tissue <laughs> and the ropes, and the owner tells him that the thugs forced him to hide a strip of microfilm in a gold medallion, but it got mixed in with another shipment. And so while he's explaining the story, all of a sudden, a black van smashes through the brick wall, and we cut to commercial. <laughs> uh, very Kool-Aid man-like entrance here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so when we return from commercial, the van, again, we see smashed through the brick wall of the Hanson Mint, and everyone scatters. Why they decided to make an entrance, you know, so conspicuously like this, who knows? I don't uh, know. So and kids, how did they not destroy the van? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. They shouldn't have even made it through. So the kids just flip around to safety as the van drives around the room trying to run them over. I was like, how big is this room? <laughs> And Mr. T puts down the owner and asks, you know, are you sentimental about, you know, one of these large machines in the center of the room? He's just like, uh, no. And so Mr. T and Dozer knock it over in front of the van. You see the dog is actually on his hind legs pushing as well. They, they push over one of these machines and it falls right in front of the van as it's driving, causing it to violently crash and explode. <laughs> It's very violent. And Mr. Yeah. T grabs the driver from the burning wreckage by the collar, makes him reveal the location of Spike. The other thug is either dead or burning in the passenger seat, you know, presumably at this point. <laughs> it's like flames and smoke coming through the other side. Through this, uh, you know, interesting interrogation practice, they find out that Spike is in the secret headquarters located on the second floor of a building at Fisherman's Wharf. You know, it's where they just were. Just were. <laughs> So, Mr. T demands that the owner of the mint call the cops while the team heads back over to the wharf. Once again, a suggestion that the cops be called. Plus, if you notice, they just leave the thugs with the owner? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not like he's tying the thugs up or they're beat no, up to just a leaves them. Yeah, just leaves the guy there like, okay, call the cops. They are not good crime fighters. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not crime fighters at all. So we cut to the arcade building at the wharf where Mr. T and the kids run in. Let us pass. Emergency. Coming through. And uh, cutting inside, we see kids playing at various video game cabinets at the background. Uh, we see there's foosball, what looks to be a jukebox. Very 80s looking arcade here. And uh, running upstairs, Mr. T kicks in a door to a room filled with broken video games. Uh, not seeing Spike anywhere, for some reason they all assume he's dead. Like well, we get I that mean, they, scene. It, it, it's only been four days at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, they should have thought about that back then. But just they open the door and they cut to, I can't remember if it's Kim or Robin, looking, just their reaction shot going, oh no, we're too late. So you figure they're going to then show Spike's dead body or something. <laughs> but no, it's just an empty room. Like, well, maybe the kid's not there, you know? Yeah. It's a very odd reaction. But after hearing and smelling something in Dozer's case... They find Spike bound and gagged inside of one of the arcade cabinets. <laughs> and the dog just 
bites the front of the cabinet and just pulls it off like it's paper. Yeah, bites right into presumably metal or at the very least some sort of like press board or something. Yeah. You'll notice that the arcade cabinet is marked Zam, X-A-M. Mm-hmm. That's the name of a production studio involved with the making of the cartoon. Ah. It's a little hidden reference there. But you'll notice here, uh, when they pull Spike out, he still has his gold chains around his neck. Again, yeah. why weren't they just taken and smashed just for the heck of it? You never know. You know, at the very Good least, practice. steal them. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, or steal them. It's money. You know, it's something. Right. It's gold. But uh, I guess as we've already learned, gold is trash to these criminals. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Even weirder, <laughs> after they find Spike and his sister says, Spike, oh, Spike. There's this super weird, like, saxophone riff. <laughs> like, Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, over the music. And it's like, you know, like a riff you'd hear, like, on a saxophone, like, during, like, some cheesy, like, romance scene. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, What? <laughs> yeah, it's right after she says, Spike, oh, Spike. And it's just like, it's like, what? Like, it totally doesn't match the music that's playing, like, the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, see, so she's giving him this big hug, and he's pushing her away. He's, he decides to instead flex both arms and, and saying, cut me some slack, you know, like in a Mr. T voice. <laughs> I mean, this scene is just odd all around. Yeah. Jeff remarks, I liked him better with the gag in his mouth, which is ironically the dumbest character saying the most intelligent line in the episode. Exactly. <laughs> I really hate all of these characters, except for Mr. T, of course. I say, Bisbee's one. okay. <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean, there's, there's other characters that you barely see. Mr. T, clearly the star of this episode. Yes. Of the whole series. Yep. So cutting back to the bus, the kids recap the story thus far as they drive down the city streets. The only missing piece of the mystery is what was on the microfilm found in the medallions that was so sought after. Uh, Spike chimes in saying conveniently he overheard that whatever it is that they found on the microfilm inside the medallion, they're taking it to Alcatraz Island at midnight. And why? That makes no sense. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, Okay, we're in San Francisco, so let's try to get as many San Francisco locations as possible. We got the Golden Gate Bridge, we got Fisherman's Wharf. How are we going to work Alcatraz Island into this? Okay, we'll have the criminals meet there. Yeah. I'll say it's better than X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> so next, cutting to the docks of Alcatraz Island at midnight, we see a man in a purple suit jacket carrying a suitcase full of money asking for the microfilm from one of the thugs. But before they can make the exchange, Mr. T and the team climbed down the walls of Alcatraz to stop them. So they drove the bus to somewhere, somehow got to the island, then climbed the prison? Yep. Never mind all the work, they were just allowed to do that? Yeah. Not only do they climb up, but they have to climb down. And the two men in the meantime make a break for it. They're running down the pier, but they're knocked down by the leaping and bounding Jeff and Robin. There's... <laughs> No physics. They're just superheroes. The thug ditches the evidence. He throws the microfilm canister to the other criminals that are in a nearby boat. Uh, the boat tries to go full speed ahead, but it's not fast enough as Mr. T, Kim, and Woody just very easily jump aboard this boat that's speeding <laughs> away from the pier. Now, once they're on the boat, three of the thugs immediately run into Mr. T's chest 
and are just and completely just fall knocked down out. unconscious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even do anything. They just run into him like it's a brick wall. Mr. T is so powerful. He doesn't, and I'm sure this has to do with Saturday morning standards where it's like, we're not going to have this cartoon where Mr. T obviously is not going to be firing any weapons. Right. Uh, you know, he's not going to be throwing any punches or anything. He's basically going to like create obstacles, whether it's a, a machine at the mint or just his own chest. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so powerful. He never needs to throw a punch to knock people out. So uh, once these guys are knocked out, Woody and Kim just cover them with a fishing net. So that's taken care of. Yep. <laughs> no, the other thug fires a harpoon at Mr. T. <laughs> which that's, yeah, that's pretty violent. Yeah. But this is Mr. T after all. So he just grabs the harpoon out of midair and snaps it in half and just kind of tackles the guy into the side of the boat. So w- once this happens, the microfilm falls out of his hand into the water, but Kim dives in after it and easily recovers it. That was just a little too easy for the cartoon because just then, not one, but two great white shark fins approach Kim. And the fins are actually very close. At one point I thought, is this like some double fin shark? Like they were drawn a little too close together. Mr. T spots the danger and springs into action, diving in, punching the first shark in the face. Let's see, this is where he can use his fists on innocent animals. Which sends the shark back like 30 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Then all just like in one fluid motion, he tosses Kim out of harm's way, just like a few feet forward in the water, grabs the second shark by the tail, and just spins it around and sends it flying out of frame. It's almost like uh, Mario defeating Bowser in Mario 64, if you can imagine that kind of thing. (laughs) Really, really stupid. And that is the end of our action scene here. Yep. So from here, we cut to um, (laughs) Mr. T's yacht? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like whose luxury boat is this oh, who knows i i assume you know bisbee's yeah it must be right it's funny because we haven't described the bus like that's a that's a really nice team bus that they drive around in yeah like it's not like a school bus it's not like no, a no, no, it's, family it's more bus. like a like a tour bus or like uh i mean it's a local reference but like the plymouth and brockton bus yeah 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 greyhound i guess sure but I mean, like, it has, like, a custom paint job, like, yep. with their, their team colors and the stars and everything. It's really nice. So she must be bankrolling this ridiculous team or something. <laughs> it must be Miss Bisbee. So on, on this yacht, we cut on board to see the seven thugs, along with the purple suit jacket guy, all tied up. Again, you know, taking crime fighting into their own hands. Uh, Mr. T explains to the kids that... A hero isn't somebody that doesn't get scared. A hero is someone who licks being scared. Did you catch that line? Yeah, it was very weird. Now, I did the, uh, you know, because I got the iTunes uh, copy of this episode, and there are subtitles. Yep. It does say licks. And I was wondering, like you said, are these cold reads, does it say likes and he read it as licks? I Yeah, I don't know. Or was it a typo and just he read it off? You know, as it was, I'm not saying Mr. T, it's Mr. T's fault, but it's just so, such an odd reading. Like, a, a hero isn't somebody that doesn't get scared. A hero is somebody who licks being scared. It could make sense in terms of a hero, like, licks, like, defeats uh, being scared. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, that's the only possible way, but still, it's clunky writing, you know? Yeah, it's very weird. I could see it the other way where a hero likes being scared. Like it's what fuels them, what drives them. But 
I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And it's, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I saw in the credits that Mr. T didn't write this, I would assume maybe he wrote it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been improvised. Who knows? Yeah. They just didn't write his lines and he just went with it. <laughs> so anyway, Kim finally opens the microfilm. Like no one thought to do this until just now. And she discovers that it's computer programming for video games, possibly worth millions. Kim, as I said before, very smart. You know, we're told that she's the smartest. She knows what they are because her father is a computer programmer. Yes. So she can just look right at this microfilm, hold it up to the moonlight or where, you know, I don't know. Is it nighttime? And see that it's computer programming for video games. Yeah. Uh, Woody notes that the perpetrators will be indicted on several counts of industrial piracy. Uh, And Spike gives you the, say what? It's clarified, of course, they're stealing programs from one game company to sell to another. Robin calls this their going out of business sale. She thanks Woody for finding the addresses, which helped their investigation get started. Jeff pats Woody on the back and welcomes him to the team. And Mr. T does a very odd, like, grin and nodding motion. It yeah. does not look like they're tr- what they're trying to portray here. And the four gymnasts now attempt an eight-way high five. Very clumsy <laughs> <laughs> celebration at the end here. It's definitely worth worth watching to see all this. Yeah. And so we don't end here because we no. finish with another live action Mr. T segment. And uh, Mr. T is now holding a gym bag, like some duffel bag for some reason. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. It's all the broken pieces of the medallions. He's going <laughs> to he's going to smelt them together and make more <laughs> more chains. <laughs> So, we, you know, this cartoon segment ends, and we cut to the live action. He's holding the bag. He walks towards the camera, and he's like, get the picture. Like, very, you know, threatening. Like, okay, yeah, we were paying attention. <laughs> he goes on to explain that excluding new people from being our friends is only cheating ourselves. And he says, don't you ever write nobody off just because he's the new kid on the block. You never know what you might be missing till you get to know them. So take it from me, Mr. T. And from here, we fade out to the closing credits. And that is the premiere episode of Mr. T. Oh, man. What a <laughs> glorious cartoon. Unbelievable. I, I had heard of this cartoon. Never got a chance to watch it. Fortunately, popped up on iTunes. And I was just like, oh, this is something. I, I didn't even see the episode yet. But I'm like, this is something we have to talk about on the podcast. Because yep. you just know. You just know it's going to be pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, if... If you haven't seen what it looks like, it's the character design is actually done by Jack Kirby. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's very similar looking to, you know, like the the G.I. Joe cartoons. Yes. Although the, this is, you know, before the G.I. Joe. So, I mean, the it's a little clunkier at times and physics, much like in most of G.I. Joe, <laughs> doesn't matter that much. Right. But you get that 80s look to these cartoons. Which, yeah, you know, yeah. Great for the nostalgic factor alone. You're not watching this because this is great animation, that this is great art. Although that Jack Kirby thing, that's amazing. Yeah. Jack Kirby, greatest illustrator of all time, you know, yep. or at least way up there in the discussion. But definitely worth a watch. And like I said, with that episode on Cape Cod, you know, being so relevant to us, I definitely would love to see that sometime. And uh, see if we can, uh, you know, recognize some of the locations. Seeing yep. as, you know, that they make a point of visiting a lot of locations. 
I can only imagine what the uh, Cape Cod mystery would be about. Yeah. All right, so Kevin, what are your thoughts now upon watching this episode for the podcast? I I mean, honestly, I hadn't watched it, you know, since I was a kid. And as soon as Spike came on the screen, I was like, oh, right. I remember not liking this dude. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he's still annoying even after all these years. But no, I mean, this, I don't know if it's still a free, uh, free download on iTunes. If it is, grab it and watch it because it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious i mean it's 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 a fun way to kill a couple minutes it, it's worth watching definitely and on itunes you know you download it it's forever linked to your account for good or for bad for better or for worse <laughs> it's yours forever but uh it's so good and yeah itunes was giving away a lot of uh first episodes of some obscure hanna-barbera cartoons i don't know why but uh they were because they were introducing them to the iTunes store. You know, you could buy the rest of the seasons, uh, but the first one's for free. And so, yeah, this was this was so great. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to watch this. Yeah. Oh, I did have one other note. This was actually the 1986 Best Family Animated Series nominee. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that must have been the probably the final season of the show, I assume. <laughs> it must have gotten way better then. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was just a nominee. It didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> but just to be in that field. Yeah. Because, I mean, 86, you'd be going up against, you know, G what else was on? G.I. Joe. I can't remember. Transformers, maybe? But, yeah, I mean, as far as family programming, I don't know if they'd go with more of an action cartoon. You know, yeah, this, know. this at least had some... It, this cartoon, at least, you know, for as goofy as it was, it, it had the moral structure that they set up where Mr. T was going to tell you what you were going to see and what you would hopefully learn from it. Right. And at the end, you know, like point in your face, like, were you paying attention? <laughs> Did you get the picture? Yeah. So at least it had like that kind of structure set up. So I, I can see it for that. <laughs> but no, yeah. I'm sure it won no animation awards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, definitely try and track this down. I mean, it's, especially if you can get it for free on iTunes, go for it. <laughs> But even not if it's if you have to pay ninety nine or dollar ninety nine whatever it is, uh, it, it's worth it if you're into this kind of stuff. Yep. it's uh, it's hilarious. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, who you pity, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail .com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. And now you can visit us at the Hitting Play Podcast subreddit, and uh, you can uh, interact with us uh, in many places. Uh, Kevin, you have anything you want to plug? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, as One Wall Cinema. You can actually go to OneWallCinema.com as well. Um, I've got links to various projects on there, such as the Kids Unboxing Stuff uh, YouTube series, as well as the Mystery Science Theater IRIF stuff that my brother and I have been doing, uh, which is very fun. We, we enjoy doing that. And if you like, check it out. Very good. Uh, I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, my name there is MC underscore and underscore friends. And there I post a lot of uh, cartoons and drawings and uh, some of the flip page animations that I did on Vine. Uh, so you can follow me there. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can even tap to rate us five stars if you don't want to bother writing anything. It, it All of it helps us out. And uh, if you do that, you will get a shout out on the show. If you leave us a review anyway. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. 
We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so you can check us out on those platforms. If you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel. You can set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream those episodes right through your television as they are released. And uh, I was just chatting with uh, Matt Nelson, who has uh, been on the show, the uh, author and uh, artist of uh, the Capier the Pirate comic series. And he was saying that he was using his uh, Alexa to try to uh, listen to us. And uh, he was having a little bit of trouble, but I think the TuneIn Radio channel app will do it. But anyway, more on that as we kind of figure it out. But uh, I believe you can even listen to us on your Amazon devices now. Well, we have been Kevin and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. He can't be me when he grows up. I'm me now. Gonna be me then.